Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So it's a portable solar shower. You fill it up with water. If that thing has a chance to sit in the sun for a while, that's a nice warm shower. It is. And, and you got to have privacy, right? So, well, I mean, you just sit on the hood of the truck and... Well, to, to that point, we wear our swimming suits. We're not out there naked taking showers at a campground. But Okay. <laughs> That's what you want to okay. tell people. Okay. I'm not. I don't know what you're doing, what your business is over I'm there. God, I hope you're not sitting naked. Sitting on the hood of the truck, <laughs> taking care of business. <laughs> oh, God. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. This is our monthly mailbag episode, where we answer questions about the national parks, ranger-led tours, road trips, camping, backpacking, gear, relationships, and pretty much whatever anyone wants to ask us. Today, we'll be sharing our thoughts on the Garmin inReach that we always bring with us when we hike, as well as a portable solar shower that we take on camping trips. We'll also answer questions about the best summer month to visit Denali in Alaska and how we would spend five days in southern Utah. All this and a few more coming up next. On last week's Smokey Bear episode, Matt mentioned his imaginary t-shirt company. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, not, not imaginary. <laughs> it's, it's a real t-shirt company. And how he wanted to create a t-shirt with Smokey's zip code on it, 20252. Yeah, it's so cool. 20252. <laughs> it's, it's like blowing up. It's, it's, it's... You got a lot of responses. Yeah, the response was amazing. Thanks to everyone who messaged us. So this is a real t-shirt company now. So you're actually going to make them? Well, I'm not going to make them. I'm outsourcing the making of them. I don't have a website yet, but what I'll do is if anyone's actually interested, I'll put a post on mattandkaren.com. It'll be a blog post. Okay. Because right now that's the easiest way to just like get the message out. And so if you go to mattandkaren.com, look at our most recent blog post and you'll see maybe a couple of pictures. We have a couple of different designs and uh, links to where you can get them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Super cool. I think maybe even I deserve an apology. Do you want to <laughs> do a public apology right now? For what? For, for <laughs> dismissing I think they call it dissing, dissing my t-shirt idea. For saying that no one would be interested in buying one. For well, that. For, well, first, denying its existence. 
<laughs> okay, well, it didn't exist when when we talked about it. Okay, maybe it exists now. <laughs> it exists now, sweetheart. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll say I'm I'm surprised that so many people want a smoky two o two five two t-shirt. However, I did see the designs, two of those designs you created, and they are really great. So I might have to get one myself. Can we go back to where you were surprised? <laughs> because I think I think what I was more looking for is the, the apology part. <laughs> I think we missed I think we missed the apology. Surprise is not really the same as I'm sorry. <laughs> I regret <laughs> making fun of your t-shirt and saying no one would want them. I was apparently wrong, and um, I will wear mine with great good, pride. That's as good. That's as close as I'm going to get. That's, in 40 years of marriage, that's as close <laughs> yeah. as I've ever gotten. Yeah, no, you, you're not going to get one. I, I screen the customers. <laughs> well, I, I have my own account on Amazon, I, yeah. so I can just order one for myself. You won't even know until until the Amazon delivery man drops Got it at the door, well, and I'm wearing it. I'll surprise you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I'd have to create the banned users list. <laughs> oh, and I would be on that list? Well. <laughs> Maybe the only one. Based on, on some of our conversations. <laughs> All right, very fun. So, are we ready to move on? Is I, that is that it for the smoke? I guess. Shirt? <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on to mailbag. We just wanted to mention a follow up to our last mailbag episode where we talked about hiking 14ers. Uh, 14ers are mountain peaks that are at least 14,000 feet in elevation. So, in that episode, I had said that I'd only do a 14er if it were easy and there was no chance of me, you know, falling off the side of the mountain. Yeah, we got some messages from our friends in Colorado who told us about some that are easier to get to the top of, maybe even one I think that you could drive to. Yeah, so there's um, Mount Bierstadt, Quandry Peak, Grays and Tories Peak, and Decalibron Loop. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Pikes Peak and Mount Evans apparently are drivable 14ers. <laughs> Maybe we'll start with the drivable ones. <laughs> Those are the ones that are very appealing to me. But thank you to all of our Colorado friends who sent those suggestions. It, it actually is really helpful because I think maybe we want to try one of those. Yeah, I'm up for it. Okay. All right. So, Karen. What is our first question? Okay. It comes from Catherine. That's Catherine with a C. And she wrote, would you please share more information on the Garmin emergency device that you use? I want to do some more remote hikes in the near future, and I want a backup plan. Okay. So I, I was assigned the answer to this. Yes, because so. you are the one who bought it. You're the one who carries it. You know a lot more about it than I do. Right. And actually, part of my answer, I'll, I'll skip to it right now, is... If you're carrying an emergency device like this, the people you're with should probably know how to use it also. Absolutely. Right? Right? So we'll, mm-hmm. they'll table that topic for another day. But, yeah, so this is the Garmin InReach is the brand name, the product name of a specific type of satellite messenger. So just to be brief, your phone uses a cellular network to communicate, right? There's towers all over the place and your phone connects to towers. Your GPS telling you where you are, it uses a set of GPS satellites. They're actually military satellites that that tell you where you're at. Satellite messengers use a completely different system. This, This is why they can work when you 
are out of cell phone reach. And so Garmin is, the Garmin inReach uses the Iridium satellite network, and this allows you to communicate when you're literally in the middle of nowhere, except for maybe like the North Pole, right? And so I'm not an expert on all the satellite messengers. I know the Garmin inReach, so people should research it on their own, right? Sure. At all the details, because if it, this is a device that you're trying to use to save your life, then you need more information than I'm going to give you mm-hmm. to make a decision about that. The one question people always seem to have about the Garmin inReach is there's two versions. There's the full size and the mini, and they're a different price point. The full size is a lot more expensive. Like how much? The mini's around $350, and the full size is $450. We have the full size. So what is the difference? Essentially, the mini is just the satellite receiver, and it connects both to the satellite and your phone. And so you you are communicating with the satellite through your phone through the mini, whereas the full-size version has everything in one. Okay. So you don't... The issue with all of these devices is they're electronic. The battery can run out. They can get wet and stop working. So they're they're not foolproof. So if you have a Garmin inReach, in order for it to work, you have to have a subscription to Garmin. Now, I have a subscription that is, it's the basic level that gives me coverage and like 10 texts a month and stuff like that. It's $11.95 a month, but that's the annual plan. So if you want to like just turn it on for three months and then stop because you're not out hiking or doing stuff the rest of the year, you'll have to go on the month-to-month plan, which is $14.95. Oh, okay. Okay, so all of the devices out there, and there are new ones. There's like a Zelio that's out there that's less expensive. Um, the Spot is out there. It's an older, it's kind of like the original uh, satellite messenger. It uses a different uh, satellite network. They all have different functions and interfaces, so do the research yourself. Now, a couple of things people should know if they're going to get these, right, is one, they all have an SOS button mm-hmm. on them. Right. If you push that SOS button, typically you are connected then to a human somewhere who's monitoring the network, and they're going to text back to you saying, like, what's your issue? Mm -hmm. Do you need help? However, if you press that SOS button and you do not respond to their texts, they're going to send somebody to come get you. And, and by that, I mean, if you're 100 miles out to sea or you're like on a mountain in a remote area, a helicopter will come. Mm-hmm. And the cost of that, you're going to incur. So you got to know, like if it's a $20,000 rescue cost, you're going to incur that. So you got you to gotta use this, right, with discretion. Right. Um, and to your point that you mentioned earlier that the people who are with you should know how to use it because... For instance, if I'm hiking with you, you have it, you know how it works, but you become disabled in some way. I need to know how to press that SOS button, which you did show me. I mean, so I do know that. Right. And <laughs> and how to use the little keyboard, which mm-hmm. is a little wonky, right? And, and how to communicate. So along that point, one thing I've started doing, because it's just common sense, I now keep it on the shoulder strap of my backpack. Because let's say I fall down and I'm in a ravine and I'm injured. I might not be able to dig it out of my backpack. 
I want it as close as possible, right? So that's one thing. And second, like I guess I would say is just know how to use the thing. Know the different functions. Uh, generally, the Garmin inReach, the key functions are you can text message people. And so we've used this before when we're in a situation where we have to, we're in a remote area and we have to text our kids, for instance, about something. It does have a weather function, so it'll tell you what the weather is mm-hmm. going to be in the next few days for where you're at. It has a tracking function where you can turn on tracking and you can actually link this to a website so that other people can track your progress and, of course, then the SOS. It does have a little bit of a mapping function that looks like a regular GPS device, uh, which is is good, but I, I have a separate GPS that, that I use for mapping. One thing to keep in mind, though, if you have one of these, and I talked about the cost of a rescue, which is you know, a meaningful thing that you should know about, and you should read the fine print of whatever subscription you're using. Garmin does say in their fine print that if you initiate a rescue for somebody else, which is pretty important because you could come across somebody, right? Oh, sure. Who needs to be rescued. The cost of the rescue is incurred by that person, not you. Okay, the person who needs to be rescued. Right, right. right. And so I, I think they're mm-hmm. they're doing this because they don't want somebody to come across, you know, an injured person or somebody who needs to be rescued. And they're like, yeah, I, I can't afford the $20,000 or the $5,000 it's going to cost to bring the helicopter in. So, <laughs> you know, you're on your own. It's the person being rescued who incurs that cost. Yeah, I think it's great, Catherine, that you're thinking about this and looking into it because, as you know, a lot of backcountry trails, a huge amount of them, you lose cell service once you know, you're know you a few steps away from the parking lot. So there is no way to get help should you need it. And you know, living in Washington State, we see search and rescue operations that go out for missing, lost, hurt hikers who have fallen or gotten lost. And had they had that SOS button, it could have saved their life. Right, right. A lot of times when you you read the stories about somebody mm-hmm. who's died in the wilderness, it's, it's amazing how many times they were not very far from a, a fairly popular trail, right. right? They've fallen into a ravine and they've just had to hunker down. Might not be able to call for help or maybe they're calling for help and and people can't hear them so you know it's it's a real thing i i think it's a it's a great level of security especially you know for us we're in wilderness areas enough i mean yeah you got to pay the monthly fee and mm-hmm. i've paid that now for years <laughs> and i guess you could add up that cost and say was it really worth it but yeah I mean, I think if we ever really got in trouble, yeah, it'd be worth all those monthly fees to have it. <laughs> and more. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks for your question, Catherine. Okay, Karen, what is our next question? Okay, this next question is from Megan in Maryland, and this is kind of a multi, multi-level <laughs> question. So I'm going to read it, and then we can uh, answer a few of these that she has asked us. So she wrote... My husband and I travel with our daughter, Bree, who's eight years old, and we tow a travel trailer with us, plus our cockapoo, and we have the best time doing it. My family has planned a bucket list trip to California for June 9th through 21st this year. We've got all of our reservations set, and we will camp in an escape camper van inside the following national parks. Joshua Tree, two 
two nights, Sequoia three nights, Yosemite three nights, and then two nights at Pfeiffer Big Sur State Park and Point Mugu State Park right at the edge of the Pacific Ocean. My 69-year-old father will be with us, so we don't plan on doing any hikes more than a few hours long or any kind of hikes with crazy elevation change. First question, I know there are shower options in Sequoia and Yosemite that we can pay for, but do you think that we should get a membership to something like Planet Fitness for the month so that we can have access to showers? I'm mentally preparing for this being one of my biggest hurdles, and I wondered what you came across in your travels in California. What was the question? So that's question one. Let's talk about that first, and then we'll go to question two. So I have a question. What's the bird going to be doing while they're out hiking? A cockapoo is a dog, not a bird. <laughs> it's a, oh, it's a dog. <laughs> Let me just insult all dog owners here. Any dog with the syllable "poo" in its name is not a real dog. I, I mean, think no. I think that's short for poodle. I I don't know this for a fact. I believe it's a um, a combination of a cocker spaniel and a poodle. Maybe I don't know a cockapoo. I think. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a variation on a cockatiel. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on. Trust me, it's a dog. <laughs> okay, please continue. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to the dog thing in a minute too, because I have a question about that as well. Uh, but the showers. So we have camped not in Yosemite or Sequoia, but we have. You know, we've camped in Death Valley. We've camped in like Catalina State Park in Arizona, and we have used the public showers. And I have to say, they were great. Don't you think, Matt? Well, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> Maybe great. Bring, bring your flip flops. <laughs> yes. Um, one time I had to leave my shoes behind. But well, uh, that was a dump station that, thing. That wasn't a shower thing. That's true. I can't blame the shower <laughs> no. on, on that. But yeah, bring bring flip flops. Yes, they were fine. But I, I understand. I mean, so you're gone. What about you're going to be out there for about two weeks? And, and bathing is important. What we have done in the past, and what you might look into, because. The Planet Fitness thing could work. I know that we have a, a Planet Fitness membership, and I know they don't allow kids under 13. So We have a Planet uh, Fitness membership? <laughs> <laughs> Do we really? I have a Planet. <laughs> have you ever been? I thought you were just at Costco all that time. <laughs> yeah, I just like to look at the monthly charges and factor up how much I'm spending while not using it. But the Planet Fitness thing, you could definitely look into that, see what they would charge you for a month. Do you have to pay membership dues and all this other kind of thing? So that's that's something you would want to look into. But let's get back to the showering in the parks issue. We have used a few times a portable shower, and we have the Nemo. That's the manufacturer, the brand name, N-E-M-O, Nemo a portable shower. There, there are several of them. I think the one we have is, I think it's 22 liters, which is about six gallons. It's maybe 150, 160 bucks at REI. So it's a portable solar shower. The, the way this thing works is you fill it up with water. I mean, which begs the question, where are you going to get five or six gallons of water if, you, if you're out remotely? But but that aside, and then it's a dark colored fabric. So you sit it in the sun all day long if, mm-hmm. you, if you can. And the water inside will heat up because the fabric is dark. You're going to need a few hours to do that. Otherwise, you're going to take a cold shower. And then there's a little foot pump that puts pressure in the canister and a little uh, hose that looks like the aerator on your kitchen sink right and so you pump it up and what we do is wet our hair those of us who have hair and then (laughs) (laughs) 
shampoo a little and then you rinse it off and yeah whatever i won't describe the the rest of the shower routine but uh yeah if that thing has a chance to sit in the sun for a while that's a nice warm shower it is and and you got to have privacy right so well, i mean you just sit well, on the hood of the truck and well, Do your to, business. to that point, we wear our swimming suits. We're not out there naked taking showers at a campground. But Okay. That's what you want to tell people. I'm not. I don't know what you're doing, what your business is over there. God, I hope you're not sitting naked. Sitting on the hood of the truck, taking care of business. Oh, God. I got, I got to wash my truck soon, too. Oh, <laughs> So I thought it worked well. We used it this past summer when we went rafting on the Middle Fork because we were not allowed to bathe in the Middle Fork River. You could not put any kind of soap suds in the river. So we had to haul the river water up to our campsite, let it warm up, and and then take a shower with that. So you're only as clean as the water that you're using. So hopefully you've got either a clean river, stream, or in these established campgrounds, maybe you have a water hookup. But I thought it worked really well. And especially if your eight-year-old is all muddy and you want to rinse her off or... If you want to wash the bird down, you know, it's the, 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 the cockapoo is, <laughs> gets dirty. Because they do. They get, they get dirty on these trips. Wash that. Wash, wash the cockapoo down. Okay. Let's talk about that cockapoo for a minute. All right. Now, Megan, you didn't mention if you're bringing your dog all the way from Maryland. We're going to assume that you're not bringing your dog because the national parks where you're going don't allow dogs on the trails. And, of course, it would be too hot to leave a dog inside a car or a van. Or maybe you've made other arrangements for your dog during the day. Obviously, you travel with your dog a lot. You love your dog and you know what's best for him. So we won't worry about your cockapoo. They do allow birds on the trail. (laughs) We've seen no. that before. Yes, we've seen. We've seen. Okay, well, it's not just these trails don't allow dogs. It says they don't allow pets. Is it, I, I would consider a bird a pet. Well, they have the sign that has a dog and a, then a red line through it. They don't have a bird with the red line through it. <laughs> All right. Well, anyone who wants to take their bird should probably double check that. Double check that yeah, with the ranger. Because yeah. we don't know what we're talking about. No. <laughs> That's, that was the original name of this whole podcast series. We don't know what we're talking about. That's right. <laughs> I think we should have gone with that one. But it's it's a good thing to think ahead of time because I do think sometimes people get to parks, they're traveling with the dog, summertime, it can be hot, and if that dog can't go with you, you know, it can be dangerous leaving them in the vehicle. Dog owners know this better than us. It's just sometimes if people are unfamiliar with some of these parks and the restrictions, then they get all the way to a place, and then they don't have a plan for the dog. So you just make sure you think through that. Right. Let me read the second part, and we can talk about that. So the second part of the question is, I've heard your episodes on Sequoia, Kings Canyon, and Yosemite, and use those to plan. But do you have any thoughts on what are the must-see things in Joshua Tree? Also, we are planning to do a boat ride out to the Channel Islands as well, and I don't think I've heard you mention visiting out there. So maybe you have a suggestion from when you visited Channel Islands. Let's talk about the Channel Islands for a second. We enjoyed that a lot. We did the Island Packers boat tour to Santa Cruz Island, which is one of the Channel Islands. And we did the full day tour, which um, docked at Scorpion Harbor. 
I like that park a lot. I like the hike that we did. They do have a variety of hikes available, like different levels, depending on what you're looking for. And it it says on the boat tour website that a guided hike by a volunteer national park naturalist is offered on most day trips. So you might look into that as well. We hiked on our own, went down to a beach, had a beautiful picnic and and had a great day. But I think we were there in what, late September? And it was still hot. (laughs) Yeah, it was late September, actually. And it was super hot. Now, speaking of hot weather, and again, I'm just going to assume you already know this, it's going to be really hot in Joshua Tree in June. That is their hottest month. Um, It's going to hover around 100 degrees every day, typically. Joshua Tree is a desert park, so it's going to cool down better at night than like other parks, but that might be the middle of the night before it gets comfortable. 67, they said, is usually the low at night in June. (laughs) Yeah, so so it's going to stay pretty warm inside your camper. We were trying to figure out, you said you're renting an escape camper van. So I was trying to Google that and see if they had any kind of an air conditioning unit that you could run at night to stay cool. And it looked like there were there were one or two models that if you are at a campsite that has a plug-in, you could plug in and, and have an air conditioner. But that's a lot of ifs. I don't know if you have air conditioning that you can run when the van is off. And that's going to be key. I don't think any of the campgrounds inside the park have electrical hookups, although if you're staying in one outside the park, maybe they do. Right. So just plan for that. And, you know, if you find it unbearably hot, you could always get a motel room for one of the nights, you know, a motel that has air conditioning and a pool. Yeah, there are a lot of motels in the area north of the park. Sometimes we just sit in the motel room for like two days. <laughs> I like to put the chair right in front of the air conditioner. <laughs> when you're in your underwear. <laughs> Works well for cooling things down. uh (laughs) Just saying. Okay, and you asked about must-do things in Joshua Tree. You know, there are a lot of easy hikes that are both fun and scenic. A few of them are Hidden Valley Nature Trail, Choya Cactus Nature Trail, Arch Rock, Skull Rock, 49 Palms Oasis, and of course, check at the Visitor Center. They probably have other suggestions for you as well. Yeah. I mean, if you feel ambitious, you could try Ryan Peak or that uh, Panorama Point, but those are those are hard hikes. Right. Those have a lot of elevation. So as you mentioned, that might not be something that you want to do. But, you know, Megan, it sounds like you have done so much research. So good for you. And this should be an amazing bucket list trip. And we hope it all goes well. And next up, we have a special mailbag question. Karen, who is this one from? This one is from Emily, and she wrote, Dear Mom, I've been trying to think of a great gift for Dad, and it seems like he's obsessed with rumble blankets. I want to get him one of the National Park designs. Which one do you think I should buy? All right, Matt, I'm going to let you answer this one. Okay, good question, Emily. Thank you for submitting that question. (laughs) Uh, Well, I really love the Yellowstone one. It's the Grand Prismatic Spring. That is so cool. But they just came out with some new ones, Grand Canyon, Zion, and Glacier. And I got to say, they're all amazing. So it's, it's a tough choice. 
It is, but even though it's difficult to choose from their beautiful designs, one thing that's the same in all of them is the material. Each blanket contains the same performance materials found in premium sleeping bags and activewear. And every Rumpel blanket is made from 60 recycled water bottles. And Emily, you're in luck. This is a great time to shop. Rumpel is running a 25% off sale through the end of May in 2022. And if you use the code DEARSALE at checkout, you'll get a free beer blanket. I'd love to have one of those too. That's D-E-A-R-S-A-L-E. You can find all the blankets on www.rumple.com. That's R-U-M-P-L. All righty. What's next, Karen? Okay, this one is from Audrey, and she wrote, My fiancé and I would like to honeymoon in a national park in early March of next year. At that time of year, we are thinking any park in Southern California, Arizona, etc. I think we'd like to backpack but are open to staying in the park's campground or lodge too if need be. So my question, what parks are close to airports and have shuttles that go between the park and the airport? We'd rather not rent a car to try and avoid the expense. So far, I've read about the shuttle to Zion National Park. Are there any others? Do we have to bite the bullet and rent a car? Okay, well, let's first talk about the Zion shuttle Mm -hmm. that you mentioned. And the little town that's right south of Zion is Springdale. There is no shuttle there from the Las Vegas airport. Right. You're not getting to Springdale from the airport on any shuttle. I even double checked just to make sure and there aren't any. So you will have to get to Springdale before you can take the shuttle into the park. Yeah, there's a shuttle in Springdale. Yes. But not to Springdale. That's it. And you know, I did some research and I could not find any park shuttles that run from the airports to the parks. Now, of course, what you can do is you can book a private shuttle or a private car, right? You can do that anywhere. I just wanted to see, get an idea of what that would cost. So I looked at a private shuttle service between Flagstaff, Arizona to the Grand Canyon, because you could fly into Flagstaff to go from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon and back again, round trip for two people, the cost is $600. I'll do it for five now. <laughs> hey, maybe that's the next that's, business. Forget the T-shirt company. <laughs> we're, and we'll entertain people on the way. Match. Well, hardly like, for the first five minutes. And then <laughs> then we need some quiet time. Just say it. <laughs> Matt's shuttle service. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the other thing to consider, too, besides price, and besides even if you could find a shuttle to drop you off, you know, if you book a car service to drop you off in the park, you have to be going to a park where, first of all, there's enough there to do for a week. And second of all, that you don't need a car to get around inside the park. So the the parks in the Southwest that have shuttles inside the park are Grand Canyon, Zion, Bryce Canyon, and Yosemite. They weren't running during COVID. Yeah, the, the ones in Yosemite were not running. I think they're supposed to start up again this summer. So those are possibilities. You could take, you know, the private shuttle, drop you off and spend time there. But you know what? Our advice would be bite the bullet. Yeah, rent a car. Rent a car. Yeah, Yeah. you just can't control all the factors. I mean, if you were going to, if you're going to vacation in New York City or Chicago or something like that, yeah, of course you could do that. But like, like in the in these open areas, 
I would want my own transportation. Absolutely. And especially if you run into something like bad weather in a certain park, let's say Zion, and you you want to drive now three or four hours, you want to go over to Arches. If you have a car, you have the freedom to change your plan, to make a new plan. So yeah, 100% rent a car. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because so many of these places, it's not just the park or the town next to it that's cool. I mean, they're generally, there's interesting things in and around them and- you know, to have a car to be able to explore is, it's, I think it's well worth it. Yes, I agree. Okay. Thank you for that question. All right. Next up, we have a question from Katie. Hi, guys. I love listening to your podcast. Question. My husband, 14-year-old son, and I are flying to Vegas November 5th through the 12th. Our top goal is to get overnight permits for Bright Angel Campground and hike the Grand Canyon. However, if that falls through and we don't get the permits, then the Utah parks are our backup plan. If you had five to six days to spend in Utah, how would you spend them? We'd be staying in hotels and not camping. We are all in great shape and typically hike anywhere from 8 to 14 miles per hike. Wow. Wow. Well, I I will say first off that the choice of Southern Utah is about as good as it gets. All of the Southwest is fantastic, but Southern Utah has so many great places to visit and hike. I think that's a good strategy, certainly a good backup plan if if the Grand Canyon hike doesn't work out. Yeah, because you have the five national parks, you have state parks, you have Bureau of Land Management land. We're going to give you two suggestions, but there are 20. <laughs> 20 yeah, itineraries right, you could right, make. <laughs> right. So Karen, what would be your number one suggestion? Well, you know, I'm thinking about your 14-year-old boy, Katie, and what would he like? Because that's key, right? When we're traveling with a teenager, you've got to keep them happy. <laughs> yeah. If, if they're not happy, nobody's exactly. happy. Exactly. So with that in mind, I would probably suggest the Capitol Reef National Park, Grand Staircase, Escalante, and the Bryce Canyon area. Those are all clustered pretty close together. Um, we did an entire Capitol Reef episode about all the amazing things to do there. Right, Matt? They could do some great hikes Check out the slot canyons on your way to drive the Burr Trail to Boulder. Pies. Oh, yeah. Well, pies, of course. Pies. Would love the pies. <laughs> and once you get to Boulder, Utah, then Escalante's right there. You can hike the Zebra Slot Canyon, which is located off the Hole in the Rock Road about eight miles in. And the Lower Calf Creek Falls. That's a great hike. That is a great we, hike. We did that. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, not far from there is Bryce Canyon National Park. One of the most spectacular parks. Yeah, and if you go to Bryce Canyon, you know, a great hike if you're just there for like a half a day or whatever, however long you're there, is that Navajo Queens Garden Loop. Yeah. I love that. And there's part of it that's called the Wall Street. Sometimes it's open, sometimes it's not. But like that whole area is fabulous to hike in. It is. And if you're looking for something a little more strenuous, then there's the Fairyland Loop, which is another favorite of ours there. And if you guys sound like strong hikers, so that would be good for you. Um, One note, if you do this and you're in the Escalante area, definitely check in at the visitor center there. They have a huge, nice one. In the town of Escalante. In the t- yeah. Yes. And they can tell you a couple things before you go to hike the Zebra Slot Canyon. First of all, is there rain in the forecast? Second of all, is the Slot Canyon underwater? And third, how rough is the Hole in the Rock Road when you're there? Because I'm guessing you'll have a rental car. 
And so, you know, you probably want to know that ahead of time. Yeah, that's good information. And that's a multi-agency visitor center. So it's not just for, you know, the BLM land. They know all of that area. So that's a great place to start if you're going to explore the Escalante Grand Staircase area. All right. So that's what I would do. Matt, what would you do if you had five days in southern Utah? Well, I I like basing out of Moab, right? So I would go there, um, do two days in arches, do the Devil's Garden in the Primitive Loop Pikes, also the Delicate Arch, and try to get a permit for a fiery furnace if you can. That's that's great. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I did see that they put them up on recreation.gov a week before the date, and I think they sell out very quickly. So if you want to do that, you need to to look at recreation.gov and make sure you're ready to ready to buy as soon as they go up for grabs. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, you could also, if you're based out of Moab, you could also head down to the Canyonlands Needles District. Uh, we love doing the Chesler Park Joint Loop Trail. That whole loop is a fantastic hike. And, you know, that that would probably be an all-day excursion because it's going to take you uh, probably under two-hour drive each way. You'll want to stop at Newspaper Rock on the way in, and then this is a long hike. So that's a great full day right there. Yeah, and you, you also have... Dead Horse Point State Park, close to the Moab area, and and that's a great place to watch the sunset. I hear it's a great place to watch the sunrise also. (laughs) We wouldn't know about that. We're never up that early, but... You also have Canyonlands National Park, the Island in the Sky District right there. And they've got some great overlooks and some really cool hikes. Yeah. And you could do the um, the Schaefer Trail from there, too, if, oh, you, yeah, if right. you wanted to. Yeah. And plus, there are some other great day hikes near Moab. We have done Corona Arch. And there's a cool hike out at this area called Fisher Towers. Yeah, we did that hike one time. It was great. There was... Very few people on the trail, but we did see some people rock climbing. So you got the hiking trail, but it's a popular place for rock climbers. So as you're going along the trail, all of a sudden you'll hear voices <laughs> off in the distance, even though you think you're all by yourself in the wilderness. And then you notice that people are up climbing those rocks. Yeah, there's a really skinny, tall twisty spire that people rock climb there. It's incredible to see and see the bodies making their way up. (laughs) Yeah. So check out the Fisher Towers area. Yeah. Lots to do in Moab. Plus, you know, Moab has great uh, restaurants and and things like that. So that would be a fun uh, a fun area to stay into. But I think because Utah has so much, if you pick sort of a center of gravity, so to speak, and work out from there, you know, maybe within two hours, see what you can do during five days. And, and then you won't be driving all over southern Utah. Yeah, Moab's a great choice, which is why Moab's getting crowded. Yeah. And so if you're going to plan on doing that, try to book your hotel motels early. Yes. Although November is a great time to go because the crowds are definitely less. The weather is cooler. We have gone several times in November and loved it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the question, Katie. All right, Karen, do we have any more questions for our mailbag? We do, Matt. This next one is from Rachel. And she wrote, my husband and I have decided that for our 25th anniversary next year, we want to do Denali National Park. I have two questions for you. Number one, if you had to choose between April, August, or September to visit Denali, when would you choose to go? And then the second question is, 
We want to do other things while we're there as well, such as Glacier Bay National Park. Do you know if there are cruises that head up to Alaska and then let you stop for some days to see the parks? All right, let's talk about Denali first. Yeah, okay. I know what my answer would be, but sometimes you do your own research and have your own opinion. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you. No, you go first. I, I, I haven't read your outline for your answer. So okay. I would just say that August would be my choice. And here's why. August in Alaska is fall. Right. The bugs are pretty thick in July, but the cold weather comes in fairly early. And so by August, they it's kind of really knocked the mosquitoes down. But you don't want to wait too long because by September, it can turn to winter. Yes. August is the month to go. Here's the thing, Rachel. If you haven't really looked into Denali yet, to really see the backcountry, you need to take the bus tour. They don't let private vehicles drive all the way back into the park. And those bus tours typically run from about mid-May through mid-September. So April would be out because there would not be a bus tour. Right. Now, speaking of the bus tours, unfortunately, there's been a landslide at Pretty Rocks, and it's going to take them a long, long time to clear it and build a new bridge across there. And this is impacting the bus service. So in 2022, buses will only go to mile 43 of the 92-mile-long Denali Park Road. So anybody on those bus tours is only going to see half the park. So right now, just in case somebody's listening to this years years from now, it's spring of 2022. Mm-hmm. I don't think we know enough about when they plan to fix the rockfall and, and rebuild the road. So we don't know for 2023 what the status of that road is going to be. Right. I've read two different things. One says it will not be open. And the other said they might try to build some kind of an access route around it. However, I'm sure they don't even know, and probably until the end of this summer when they see how far they they have gotten on this clearing the landslide. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's May now. It's still probably covered in snow. Yeah. So they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But so here's the thing for all of you people who have trips to Denali this summer, you know, it's a shame that the park road isn't open all the way. But if you've got bus tickets and you're going halfway through the park, it's still going to be great. Oh, yeah. I I love that wilderness area of Denali. Even if you only go basically about halfway down the road, uh, you're you're still going to see beautiful aspects of the park. You should be able to see the mountain Denali from that part of the road if it's out. It's not always out. I think they say it's out about 30% of the days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully you'll be lucky when you're there. But for those of you who are planning a bucket list once in a lifetime trip to Denali, and you know, it's expensive, it's probably something you've been looking forward to your whole life, I would definitely wait to plan that until you know that the road is open just so you can get the most out of your visit. All right, so let's move on to the second part about are there cruise ships that will drop you off for a few days? There are cruise ships that go into Glacier Bay itself as part of the tour, but they don't drop you off. They don't. Last summer, for instance, there were three cruise ships, according to the Glacier Bay National Park website, there were three cruise ships that went up into Glacier Bay. Those were Holland America, Norwegian Cruise Lines, and Princess Cruise Lines. So what they do is they do a full day tour up there. It's nine to 10 hours. They stop at a glacier and let you look, but they don't dock anywhere and nobody gets off. But you know, the cool thing about that, Matt, is, I didn't know this till I read it, is that 
a national park ranger boards the cruise ship and talks to everybody about what they're seeing. Yeah, well, that that is cool. I mean, you already have these folks up there. They're on a ship. They're they're cruising through the bay. I mean, it's great. You just put a ranger on the boat and they can interpret what you're seeing. Uh, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. You know what else I read? They The ranger brings the National Park stamp, the Glacier Bay oh. stamp. So all those people who, with che- their passports out. Is that cheating? No, they're in the park. They are in the park. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I would do that if I uh-huh. were on the cruise ship. But. Yes. So that's an option. And I know there are a lot of cruises that will take you to some of the parks on a tour. Again, they don't drop you off. What was it, Matt, when we were in Wrangell St. Elias and we stayed at that Princess Hotel? There right. were all I, those cruise people Yeah, I, I don't know if there were the, the cruises were stopping at Valdez and then people got on buses up to Glen Allen and stayed at the Princess Hotel where we were and then they went through the park. And then sometimes I think they stop in Anchorage and do the same thing. They could take the bus the other direction to Glen Allen or up to Denali. So there's cruise ships that are doing that. Right, that are uh, doing tours. And and mm-hmm. so even if you're two, three, four hours away by bus to the destination, that's fine. The cruise arranges that transportation. And and then in a lot, of, a lot of cases, the motel while you're staying there. Yeah. So you might look into that if you want to see some of the other parks. Or if you read our book, Dear Bob and Sue, you might get some ideas from our trips to the Alaska parks and how we planned all the logistics on our own. And it's a lot of planning, a lot of moving pieces to arrange. Some, sometimes we actually suggest our books so people know how not to plan a trip. <laughs> <laughs> like this is, this is how we did it and this is how it turned out. So there you go. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, I think it turned out well. You, you did all the planning for those parks back then. I think, though, we did the eight Alaska parks over three separate trips in three different summers. And I know a lot of people only want to make one trip out there. So, you know, that is definitely a lot of planning. Yep. Thank you for the question, Rachel. Okay, Matt, why don't you read the next mailbag question? Okay, I've never done this before. I've never read a question. I'm I'm kind of nervous. (laughs) Susan writes, Dear Matt and Karen, my question is mainly for Karen. You always look so cute in your Instagram photos, and I'm curious about what kind of hat you wear or what kind you recommend for protection while hiking. I love your podcast and wish you would write another book. Oh, well, thank you for asking that question, Susan. I usually wear uh, a University of Kansas hat. (laughs) I like the Jayhawk logo, but sometimes it just says KU. Sometimes it says Rock Chalk. Hold on. Did you not hear yourself say that my question is mainly for Karen? I just saw the cute part. <laughs> and I just and you thought, thought all right, you. we'll knock this one out yeah. right away. You are cute. Uh, you are so cute. But Susan, <laughs> thank you for the question and for the compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do like to wear a hat while I'm hiking pretty much year round, but especially in the summer. And it seems like I lose my hat at least once a year because typically what happens is we're hiking in windy weather and it literally blows off my head and off the side of a mountain somewhere where I can't retrieve it. Is that how they all end up in the motel rooms? It blows <laughs> off your head? Like what are you doing your... Well, that sounded more Doing dramatic. your hair? It blows off your head 
and it stays in the motel room forever. Okay. I have left them behind certain places. Yeah, I usually wear a hat. I like the ball cap style. So do I. Mm-hmm. That way my head doesn't get sunburned, and it also keeps the ticks out of my hair if it's tick season. What I look for every year when I go to buy a new hat I look for SPF protection. The one I just bought that I'll mention in a second has 50. The SPF protection is 50, so that helps a lot. I look for synthetic material, so it's lightweight. Definitely want it to be washable because, you know, these hats get sweaty in the summer. Also adjustable because I have a really big head. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I bought you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Nothing good would come from me commenting on the size of your head. No. But did, I bought you one that had a little pocket on the top of the hat. Like you could put a ID in, like a little credit card or one key. Yeah, that was one of the ones that blew away. <laughs> really? How long ago was that? I have no idea. That, I think that was like a birthday gift. <laughs> So the latest one I bought a month ago, the brand is CTR, the letters CTR. I I wasn't familiar with it, but I saw it at an outdoor store in Seattle, tried it on, and I liked everything about it. So I think that's key, though, if you can try them on, because obviously it's not one size fits all, right? Every head is different. You got to go to the big head (laughs) section of the store. Well, some people have small heads. Maybe they have to go to the small head section. I kind of have a small head. You do have a small pinhead. Okay. Are we we done with the questions? I think so. That is my hat requirement list. Yes, Susan. So I would just, if you have an outdoor store near you, maybe go try some on. I have bought one or two on Amazon that didn't work out and I sent back. So it's a little bit of a a search to find the right one, but uh, lots of great ones out there. Yeah. Good luck. And thank you for the cute comment. Okay, so that wraps up this mailbag episode. Great questions. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, they were. Um, And if you have a mailbag question for us, you can send it to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. This summer, we'll be taking some breaks, so our podcast schedule will vary. Most likely, we'll have a couple of episodes coming out in June, July, and August. If you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify, you'll get our episodes just as soon as they're released, and you won't have to wonder what the heck Matt and Karen are doing. That's right. We have a busy summer ahead with some new projects that we're working on and some fun trips as well. So be sure to follow us on Instagram to see what we're up to. Our Instagram account is Matt and Karen Smith. Yeah, and I, I know I will be busy this summer with my non-imaginary t-shirt company. A lot, a lot of new designs coming out, Karen. <laughs> uh, in fact, I may have to hire an assistant this summer to keep up with all the orders. Not me. So, well, s- someone who's respectful of the business. <laughs> <laughs> so not me. <laughs> I, no, well, I mean, you can apply. <laughs> the interview process is pretty strict. <laughs>